take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to John's Gospel, chapter 15. John, chapter 15. Christ-like disciples, living, growing, reproducing. And according to John chapter 15, it's all because we are connected. Branches and vines. Intimately sharing together and living out the wonder of that relationship. Jesus said that as we live out that relationship, it proves that we are his disciples. I want to take time to read this passage of Scripture again this week. And as we have been in this passage, let me encourage you to perhaps memorize this passage. We've read it at least three, maybe four times now. And so go home and bring it up during the week and apply it to your heart. John chapter 15, the first 17 verses. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. By this you prove that you are my disciples, Christ-like disciples. Disciples that are connected to Jesus Christ. 
Now, in our setting, many times we take it for granted that people are connected to Christ. But it was Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So this morning, I want to make sure that everyone in this worship center understands what it means to be connected to Jesus Christ. I want you to know for sure that as he is the vine and we are the branch, we are connected to him. Now, some of you sitting here this morning are going to think, well, I've heard that before. Yeah, you have. Some of you sitting here say, well, I've experienced that. I hope so. But the reality is, most of our culture has not. And it is a dangerous thing to take for granted that even everybody in this worship center has trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior. You know, the Bible tells us that if we are going to be connected to Christ, there are some things that we must understand. Jesus, in John chapter 3, was confronted by a religious ruler. The religious ruler's name was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus said to Jesus, he said, Good master, what must I do to be saved? Well, that's a good question to ask, isn't it? And Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, I don't get it. How can I, who've been born once, be born again? And Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again. Let me share with you how you can be born again. There's something we call the Romans Road, and I just want to walk you through it this morning, and I trust that you'll make note of it because you may want to share this with someone who needs to be born again. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. A very simple verse. Now that verse does a couple of things. It puts everybody in the same boat. All means all, that's all. And when God says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, he means everybody. This is people who are good at sinning and people who may not be so good at sinning. Because the reality is, no matter how good we are, we're not good enough. Not by works of righteousness which we have been saved, but according to his mercy. For by grace are we saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. We'll talk about that in a moment. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So you may be here this morning, and you may be a bad sinner. It's okay. Well, it's not okay, but we'll talk about that. You may be here this morning, and you may be a good sinner. I don't know what kind of sinner you are, but I can tell you this, you're a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. Now stop right there. That's not the whole verse, but stop right there for a moment. Because you and I are sinners, one day we're going to die. Do you remember back in the garden? God put Adam and Eve in a perfect environment. And he gave them some instruction. And he said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And do you remember why he gave them that instruction? God said, for in the day you eat of that tree, you're going to start to die. And you move to Genesis chapter 3. And you have another personality introduced into the narrative. That personality is called a serpent. Defined as one who is more subtle than any beast of the field. I hate snakes. I'm afraid of snakes. But this was a serpent like no other serpent. Didn't frighten Eve one little bit. And the serpent came to Eve and said, God didn't really mean what he said. Here, eat. And you know what Eve's first mistake was? She took a look. And she discovered that the fruit that she had been forbidden of eating didn't look too bad. Pleasant to the eyes, the scripture says. Maybe it'll make somebody wise. She took it, she ate, she gave it to Adam, he ate, and they started to die. For the wages of sin is death. All sinners will die. Scripture says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. I have some regular prayer requests. It's said the only sure thing in life are death and taxes. I'm praying that somehow, some way, we'd get relieved of taxes. Wouldn't that be great? But I've never prayed that we'll get relieved of debt because it's a fact of life. This year, 13 saints from Calvary Baptist Church have been promoted to glory. That's not a bad thing. We've become a sending church. We're sending people to glory. truth is, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But there's a second half to that verse that says this, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Wages, something we earn. Gift, something we receive, not based on our merit. based on the generosity of the giver. 
So the question is, how do I get the gift? Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now it used to be, when I would witness to people, I would remind them of two events that most of culture was familiar with. I'd remind them of Christmas. Remember Christmas? The message to the shepherds was, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And you remember about his name? You should call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Remember that? And then I would remind them of Easter. Good Friday, Christ died for our sins, buried, rose again the third day. Easter is the Super Bowl of Christianity. And you know what? We win. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in him, though he were dead, yet shall live. But the sad reality is, I don't do that much anymore because our culture doesn't have an idea about Christmas. It's all about Santa Claus. Our culture doesn't understand much about Easter. It's something with long ears and eggs. And I never figured out how you take a rabbit and have eggs. I think it ought to be the Easter chicken. It makes more sense, doesn't it? Anyway. But the truth is, God demonstrated his love. While you and I were sinners, Christ died. The text that we read, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life. And that's what God did through his son, Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. So we still need to answer the question. How do you get the gift? Romans chapter 10. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I quoted the first half of John 3.16. God so love he gave that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now the question I have for you right now very quickly is have you trusted Christ? Have you been born again in the family of God? Has there been a time in your life where you recognized you were a sinner, you recognized that because of your sin there was a penalty but God did something to rectify that whole thing and that he sent his son to be the savior of the world. And you believed on the name Lord Jesus Christ and were saved. If you've never done that, talk to me following this service. This service really is all about that, right? We're going to celebrate communion. It's all about it. Now, when we do that, we get connected to each other. The Bible says, for as many as receive Christ, to them are given the privilege to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name, John 1, 12. If you're sitting next to someone who has trusted Christ as personal Savior, that person is part of your family, brother or sister.
Not too many weeks ago, I had a young couple in my, my office. They were there for premarital counseling. And as I shared with them, I discovered that the gal had never received Christ as personal Savior and had the privilege of leading her to the Lord. And you know what was neat? What was neat is, as this couple sitting in front of me, I then said to the young man, now you have to treat her like your sister. <laughs> that changes the relationship, doesn't it? Each of us are connected to each other because we've been born again into the family of God by trusting Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Romans chapter 8 tells us that we're children of God, part of the family. So, we are connected to Jesus, right? But we're also connected to each other, and that's to make the difference in our lives. Somebody said you can choose your friends, but you're stuck with your family. Not a bad family to be stuck with. And within those connections to Christ and to each other, we are supposed to grow closer to Jesus Christ and closer to each other. One of the ways that we do that is through our life groups. And I'm going to ask Randy Carey to come to the platform at this time. Randy is our life group coordinator, and he and his team have been working very, very hard over the past several weeks to, to help us be connected to each other. Randy? Before I retired, I had a boss at Kellogg's who used to say, if something goes wrong in this project, just remember you're all in this alone. Just remember, you're all in this alone. Boy, I tell you, that was not very reassuring. Some of you people here know that gentleman. <clears throat> but you know, that's not how our Christian life is supposed to be lived. We're all members of the body. When one part suffers, we all suffer. If one part rejoices, we should all rejoice. We need each other. I'm convinced that it's not spiritually healthy. And as I think about it, it's probably not physically healthy either to be isolated. Have you ever felt alone, troubled, concerned, when you didn't know whom to confide in about whatever those struggles were that you're facing? I've read that in our modern culture, with all of our social media, instant communication, smartphones, etc., we're actually more isolated and lonelier than ever before. Even if you've got hundreds of Facebook friends or Twitter followers or LinkedIn connections or just hundreds of names, contacts in your phone directory, there are probably many of us that don't really have any close connections. And if you are privileged to have some close family or friends, do we really share our personal struggles and burdens with those friends or our parents or our siblings or our kids? 
Are we accountable to one another for growth in our Christian walk? We need a circle of brothers and sisters to uphold us as we navigate life's ups and downs. And life groups are a great vehicle to build tight relationships with one another. As Pastor said back at the uh, September board meeting, Judy and I were uh, appointed by the deacons to serve as uh, coordinators of the life group ministry. We're really excited about the opportunities within life group ministry. And over the past several months, not just since September, but for several months, we've been reading and studying and praying about group ministry. We recognize that we needed to understand about what's currently going on in our groups as we begin to lead the ministry. So we asked each of the group leaders to fill out a questionnaire and then invited them over to our home for a time of fellowship and a time of sharing together. We were really encouraged to hear some of the good things that are going on in the groups. And we also had an opportunity to, sh to share together and discuss some potential areas of improvement. So you might ask, what's our vision for life groups at Calvary going forward? Pursuing God and his purposes together. Pursuing God and his purposes together. So how do we do that? Well, there's three things. First, we begin with connecting. God didn't design us to be alone. We need community. We need intentional relationships. And connecting, it could start with simply first just agreeing, hey, we're going to meet together. And then it gets a little deeper as we become committed to one another. And then it can get all the way to be deep enough to where we truly feel like we belong. It's not like a surface friendship or passing one another in the hall. How's it going? But actually a deep relationship. Then groups look at changing. Life groups are not a group of people who just get together to have a good social time. There's a purpose for those connections. As our connections deepen, we build accountability and trust within, with, with one another. And then the, those connections, they enable us to challenge one another, encourage one another, build each other up in our faith and our walk with Christ. And finally, cultivating. Now, cultivating is about looking outside of our group, serving and influencing others. As we grow, we encourage one another in God's mission of making disciples. How effective are we each being in reaching the lost? So those three, three C's, how do they line up with Calvary's mission? We look at our mission statement. We refer to it as PODCAR. The first C is connecting to, to one another. That one's pretty obvious, isn't it? How about the next one, changing? passionate about their God, obedient to the word, dependent on God through prayer. It's about us growing. And then the last, last C, cultivating. Well, the end of our mission statement, authentic and relevant in their witness. Again, that fits very well. Now I've asked Mary McKelvey, Carolyn Peters, and John Paternoster to come up and share just a bit of their perspective about life groups. Come on up.
probably had this conversation with many of you as I think about, about this. I've often said, because it's one of those things that is just really important to me, is um, when we get to know each other best is when we're in a small group. If we come here and look across the room, I have no idea where you work, what your hobbies are, what you enjoy, what makes you tick. But if we end up at just a social gathering, you and I are more likely to sit next to each other, start a conversation, and go, oh, that's what you do? Did you know that I? And then the next time we see each other in the hallways, we do more than a, hey, how are you? And don't expect a response. But we have that. And we start a conversation. We start a connection. And that's what our life groups are all about. Um, say I sit down next to you and I find out that we both work in a school. Immediately, we both go, oh, somebody's going to get me. They're going to get this conversation. They're going to understand a little bit of where I'm at. Maybe for you, that's a love of sports or of reading. There's any number of ways that people can connect. But when you do that with someone, it allows you to then become a little more connected with them and understand where they are. About a year ago, God began to kindle a passion in my heart for life group and life group ministry. What fuels that, that passion in me is what I've said, the best way to get to know people is by meeting in a smaller group. I can't know everything about all of you here, but when we meet in a small group, that passion for me is for us to get to know each other better, to understand each other, and then as we do that, when those, as that connection builds and that relationship strengthens, we find ourselves tackling the celebrations in life, the struggles in life, the heartaches that are sure to come our way. And as we do, we have someone who we can talk to, someone to laugh with us, cry with us, pray for us, whatever it's needed. But that's not going to happen if I know nothing about you. Recently, as I was camping and my brother-in-law was visiting us, we were talking about building a fire because it's kind of, that's my thing when we're camping. But he's really good at building fires. And we talked about how we get them started. And he said to me, it's all about the, the tinder, the little stuff. There's, there's this, there's the tiny twigs, the dried up leaves. And that's kind of how our relationships are. We, we connect over a love of books or sports or a job connection. But to, to start a fire, you can't just throw a whole bunch of big logs down, put a match to it, and expect it to go anywhere. It's not. It's going to need something. It's going to need some tinder, some small twigs, some branches, and eventually the big logs. And that's just a perfect picture of our relationships. We start with that first bit of information and introduction, understanding that we have something in common, and then there's a few more logs the pine needles that get thrown on that fire, and we understand, oh, I, I get that about you. I'm there too. Or you're struggling with that? So am I. Or I've been there, and we can share that back and forth. Pretty soon we've built up to putting logs on that fire, and we are passionate about those in our group, those relationships, and we're not only ministering to each other, but we're then able to reach out and connect with people around us. That's not my vision for life groups. It's what they can be, 
It's what I know God desires for us to be connected. We've been talking about that for some time. And I have a desire for you to find someone in a life group who you can connect with, someone who can share your heartaches, someone who can celebrate you and do the happy dance when those times come. Um, so my challenge to you is to, if you're not already in a life group, find a life group. Try it on. If that one doesn't fit, try another one. But don't cheat yourself out of the opportunity to grow, to be cared about, and then to reach out to other people around you. We call them life groups. Sometimes you hear them referred to as small groups, cell groups, home groups. My personal favorite comes from John Piper, who sent out to his congregation a call to small togetherness. I think that really captures what can happen in these groups. And I find that when I practice small togetherness, I'm better able to recognize the truth. About a year ago, we were working through a major decision, and I was talking with a brother in Christ, and he said to me, Carolyn, I think this is true about you. I see this thing in your life. And I was speechless. I was shocked. Not because he was rude or arrogant or, you know, he was very kind. And I knew that he had my best and my family's best at heart. But I was shocked because I have always, for my entire life, thought of myself as the exact opposite of what he was saying. I'm it was laughable to me. I thought, there's no way that this is true. Well, I kept hearing his counsel in my head over and over for about a week or so, and finally I was, took that to my prayer time, and I said, Lord, was there any truth in that? Was there something that you wanted me to hear in that? Because I just don't see it. Well, actually, yep, there was a little something there. But I never would have seen it if this person hadn't pointed it out to me. I saw myself as exactly the opposite. The point is, I don't always see myself truthfully. I don't always see myself the way that God sees me, and I miss the truth. And if I miss the truth, then I might not realize that I'm not accurately reflecting his glory. I can't grow. I need you to build into my life so that I can recognize the truth, so that I have the opportunity to fix the parts that don't quite line up with the image of Christ. Also, I find that when I practice small togetherness, I develop a powerful, confident faith. In Hebrews chapter 3, it says, Take care, brothers, not pastors, teachers, brothers. That's all of us. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Did you catch that? We, me and you, we are the instruments that God uses to preserve each other's faith. To guard against unbelief and hardened hearts, God says his plan is for us to take care and to exhort one another. We need to be able to look each other in the eye. We need to know each other so that our words of encouragement, our words of exhortation, 
yes, maybe even words of warning, are intimately shaped to meet each crisis of faith. And we will all have those moments of crisis of faith as we're growing in him. This kind of faith-preserving, truth-revealing exhortation does not come from a quick soundbite passing in the hall, nor does it primarily come from electronic interactions. We need to know each other. We need to look each other in the eye. We need to build those relationships. I need to be building into your life, and I need you to build into mine. So maybe some of you are surrounded by believers, and you enjoy a very rich legacy of faith. You don't have to look very far to find people who care deeply about your spiritual life, about your faith. Powerful and confident faith and truth are free to flourish in your life, but maybe some of you are a little more like us. Joe and I represent the first generation in each of our families to understand that Jesus is Savior and Lord. Most of our family does not understand <laughs> this race that we are running. Often, they actively oppose this race that we are running. They are not our encouragers. So we need you. We need the body to be the family and the encouragers that are not naturally built into our lives. And that's where small groups can come in. That's where life groups can come in for us because we need the body to be encouragers to us. Sometimes when we're pretending to be spiritual, we say things like, all I need is Christ. After saying of his creation, it is good, God said of Adam, it is not good that the man should be alone. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one because they have a great reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Jesus says in Matthew 18, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among you. There are more than 25 one another's in the New Testament. Pastor read, love one another. Carolyn just said, read, exhort one another. I'm wondering, how many of those can I do by myself? Who has your back? Who is praying for you? Who's encouraging you? Who's accepting you, honoring you, admonishing you? Who's building you up? Who are you devoted to? Who are you spurring on toward love and good deeds? Who are you teaching, loving, serving? Could a small group change your life? Thank you guys for sharing your hearts. As you can see, these folks are uh, very passionate about being connected. 
along with Joe Peters and Dira Paternoster, you just heard from the people who are going to serve as life group coaches. That's our new team of life, life group coaches. We've become convinced that it's important to have a role of coaches to encourage and build up our life group leaders. We don't want leaders to feel isolated or burned out. So coaches are going to meet regularly with, and stay in touch with the leaders, building them up and encouraging them in their ministry. Coaches will also be able to serve leaders by helping to facilitate ideas, things that worked well in other groups, and also suggesting some curriculum and those kinds of things. One of the things that we would like to change is our expectations of what a leader is, of what a leader does. We don't want to be in a position of expecting our leaders to do it all. We've got some examples where we have leaders who are, well, they're hosting the meeting in their home. They're preparing the food and refreshment. They're selecting the curriculum and study material. They're leading those discussions, maybe following up with the group members between our meetings, planning and arranging any special occasion. We'd like to, to establish an expectation that the leaders would serve as the shepherd of the group. The leaders responsible see that the group does a function effectively moving towards the, the group's target. However, we don't want the leader to have to do it all themselves. We'd like other members of the body to have an opportunity to help with those things, maybe using some of their spiritual gifts to minister to one another in that group. The leader's going to make sure that the tasks get done, but not to personally have to do them all themselves. So in conclusion, we desire for Life Groups of Calvary to be a place where each individual is an integral part of a community that is pursuing God and his purposes together through connecting, changing, and cultivating. If you'd like to talk to us about Life Groups, we're going to be in the lobby after the service. And we'd love to talk to you about that. We're also planning to have a Life Group Leader Workshop on Saturday, November 17th for current leaders and prospective leaders. And if, if uh, that is something that you'd consider, we'd love to have you join us. Thank you for your attention. It's all about being Christ-like disciples. Christ-like disciples who are connected to Jesus and connected to each other. Christ-like disciples, the vine and branches. Those who are living and growing and reproducing. And that really is our celebration this morning as we recognize the given body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Understanding what God has done for us and then how we live out that relationship with one another. I'm going to ask those who are going to help us share the celebration of the Lord's table to make their way to the, the back and then make their way to the front. But as, as they're doing that, I want to ask you some questions. Are you connected to Jesus? Have you trusted Christ as personal Savior? If not, let's share. As being connected to Jesus, you see growth in your life? Abide in me. Branch that doesn't produce isn't much good growth in your life.
what fruit do you have? Because of your growth in Jesus. See, folks, it's all about proving we are his disciples. Christ-like disciples, he is the vine, we are the branches. Those who abide in him bring forth fruit. For without him, his given body and shed blood, we can do nothing. But with him, we can do everything.